As we get started, let's join together in prayer, in prayer for the morning offering, and another welcome to everyone watching at, at home. Delighted that you're able to tune with, in with us, and delighted that you can participate in this. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for this morning, for the vision that you have cast in our life, Lord, individually, in our family, and in our church family. Lord God, we commit to you this offering. Lord God, we pray that you would use it. You guide our, our elders to be good stewards of these resources, Lord, for the ministries and purposes of the church, Lord God, to continue uh, to share the good news of Jesus with hands and feet to the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is... God makes, God loves, and today is part three of our Knowing God series, Revelation, God Speaks. The Creator has spoken to everyone everywhere through His creation, through, through oceans and mountains, fractal patterns and trees right outside the door, all the way to the vast and distant crab nebula, 6,500 light years away, God has spoken miracle of an embryo that grows from cradle to grave. We're made in God's image with consciousness. We can think and feel. We can be aware of our surroundings and we can make sense of it, the world around us. The creator has spoken and his existence is revealed. And this idea is known in theology as general revelation. That in a general, broad way, God has made himself known to us. Isn't it beautiful? And yet, general, general revelation only goes so far. There's, there's nothing too specific or special about the revelation in knowing who God is. Like God's characteristics and attributes and how we can communicate and relate to our creator. For that, we need something special and in theological terms, there's a concept known as special revelation. Special revelation is God revealing himself in a particular way to a particular people. And special revelation is the spirit-inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative 66 canonical books of Holy Scripture, the Old and New Testament, that our elders and deacons just vowed their lives to following and abiding by. That is special revelation. It is a word that is authenticated and witnessed to history, to his story. It's only by special revelation we teach as Christians that anyone comes to a, a saving relationship and knowledge of who God is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you say yes and amen to the concept of general revelation, and special revelation. Can you say that? Does anyone? Yes and amen to that? Okay. Not everyone, that's okay. And if you've come to a saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, then today's message is especially for you. And it's especially for Christians here in the United States of America, our audience from sea to shining sea. And we have a few people overseas as well. Because today in our country, in these most uncertain times, 
Christians are just as caught up in the uncertainty as everybody else. Just as afraid, just as angry, just as anxious, just as confused as to what is true and what is false, just as polarized and pissed off by politics as everyone else. And I'm here today to remind you, in the mess that we've made, God has spoken. God has spoken. Please open your Bible to the second book out of those 66. You know, the, the Bible is really a, a library book, so we're going to open to the second book. It's called Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. You can watch on screen, on your tablet, if you have a, a Bible in front of you. Quick review, the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and God has a plan, and he calls forth Moses and says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm sending you to tell Pharaoh, let my people, let them go. And eventually, Pharaoh let them go. And they crossed the Red Sea, and now they are in the wilderness. And they are they're out there in the middle of nowhere, they think, in the desert. And they're waiting, once again, for Moses to come back down the mountain. He's been up and down a number of times, receiving that special revelation from God, waiting to hear what God has spoken. That's where we pick up. We'll just read the first six verses of chapter 32. Here we go. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings from your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Moses had been gone a long time. He'd gone up the mountain before, but he'd never been gone this long. Some estimate it could have been as long as a month. That time was spent listening to God, receiving God's plans for a holy tent known as the tabernacle, where the people would worship God, where God would be with the people in this holy tent, in this tabernacle, as they proceeded through the wilderness Moses was receiving these instructions to build this holy site. We should really do a whole sermon series on the second half of the book of Exodus to explain it. And then eventually those same elements would be uh, raised into the temple when the temple was built in Jerusalem. So he was receiving the special revelation about how to worship God. He was receiving instructions on how to ordain and install, a little relevant there, 
uh, Aaron, his brother, as the high priest and, and, and all the priesthood. And he was receiving instruction on just how they were to worship God. It takes time. It takes a long time. It takes lots of explanation. And that's what was going on. The Lord was revealing his will to Moses through special revelation. And it was beautiful. But, but while he was gone, people were getting restless. Where is Moses? What is taking him so long? Has he forgotten that we're out here, stuck out here? Where is he? Israel had grumbled. They'd complained. They had tested the Lord, but had never gone so far as to rebel so much that God's wrath would burn against them uh, until now. You see, this time, their fear Anxiety, anger got the best of them. And this time it went too far. It's not too far-fetched to assume that rumors began to spread, that conspiracies began to flourish. Have you heard? I heard. I heard it this way. Did you? I think it's worse than that. No, it's worse than even that. And it would spread and spread. And the impatience became worse and worse. They were doubting the prophet and then they were doubting the plan, and then they were even doubting God. Why has he brought us out to this place? Now, we'd have to study the book more deeply, but I can tell you, the Israelites had faced a lot of challenges to this point, and dangers, but they are not in any imminent danger at this point. And yet, and yet, they are freaking out. Fear was crowding out faith. The leaders, I imagine, were saying, calm, remain calm. Remember, we are family. Let's just settle down. We're ignored, pushed aside. And so it says in the text, verse 2, they go to Aaron, who's number two in charge. And they say, make us gods who will go before us. It's a very human thing to do. It's just not a very faithful thing to do. They're just doing what they're wired to do, what human beings are wired to do. Dogs bark, fish swim. Humans want to worship and follow someone in charge. It's just the nature of it. What do you suppose this mob would have done to Aaron if he had said no? There are estimates that there are somewhere about 600,000 Israelites. They could all have been surrounding Aaron at that moment. And we see later that there are 3,000 that were the most radical, that we'll see what happens to them in just a moment. But they're listening, they're encouraging it, they're, they're applauding it, and, and Aaron just caves. Actually, it's not only Aaron. I think it's Aaron and company. I don't think it's only Aaron who, who makes this idol. Notice in the words of verse 4. Look at verse 4 again with me. And it says in the second half, it says, Then they said, it was fashioned, then they said, plural, they said, these are your gods. And so I think that there was a number of craftsmen, those that were following uh, Aaron's lead. That's just a, that's just a little dink for me, a little guesswork. We would know that they would fashion a, a wood sculpture in the way of, of style of Egyptian worship, of bullvine worship that was very common at that time. Uh, bulls, a young bull, a calf would be held in high regard, and so it would be shaped out of wood. It would have been carved out of wood. The gold would have been smelted, melted down, poured over uh, to overlay it and turn into the golden calf. 
the Apostle Paul wrote thousand years later, more than that, 2,000 years later, to a dysfunctional church in Corinth, lifting up this example of a church that had stopped listening to God. So lest you jump to the conclusion, well, Pastor P, he really seems to be stretching this analogy uh, to fit our times. These were the times that Paul lived in, in which these words were spoken. And so he's writing to a church that has forgotten their history. They've forgotten where they've come from. They've forgotten what it means to not listen to God. He says this. Look at these words here from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6, 7, and 11. Here it is. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as those Israelites of old did. And the next thing he said is, do not be, what? Idolaters. Worshipping anything that you've created. As some of them were, as it is written, and here it quotes chapter 32. But people sat down to eat and drink and go up uh, to indulge in revelry. And, and, and then it says, the, the last slide, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Paul's warning the people, set these examples in front of you. And friends, as we, we seek in the series to know God, this is a word as relevant as it was then as it ever is today. What makes this scene shocking is that the Lord had saved them from Pharaoh. He had broken the chains of slavery and led them out of Egypt. He had provided for them. He had shown grace to them. Turn after turn, calamity after calamity, the Lord God had provided loving care and mercy to them. And at that moment, they could see the, the manifestation of God on that holy mountain. I mean, the, the smoke and fire and, and lightning. We think, gosh, God, if you just gave us a big sign, a big storm on the sky. They saw that. It was right there in front of them. They still, what if God had given us a word that we could understand? We could all agree. This is what makes it even crazier. God had given him, given them the word. When did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? Way back in chapter 20. God had revealed his law, the way to live, to Moses. And a lot of other directions for how to live. And yet, and yet, all those trips up and down the mountain, all that communication, the people have devolved into this. And what's shocking upon shocking upon shocking is that before this scene, the people had made a vow, a solemn oath, a pledge twice to obey God. Yet they broke God's command. Now, how many of you have studied the Ten Commandments? Quick tutorial for those at home or those here. There are ten of them. The first four really relate to our vertical relationship between us and God. Then the next six, how we relate to one another. And here in just these verses, the people broke those first four. So number one, you shall have no other gods before me. They, they broke that one when they said, uh, Make a gods to go before me in verse one, before us in verse one. Uh, the second commandment: 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything to worship. I think an unholy cow would qualify. So they broke number two. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, when we think of that one, oftentimes we tell our kids it's about swearing, but it's more than that. It's, it's saying, it's invoking the, the name of God as if we know what God's will is. And here the people cheer when Aaron evokes the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Tomorrow we will have a festival to Yahweh and celebrate mixing in this bad religion. They broke, broke number three. And then number four, a bit of a stretch, but when we think about the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, we think about them sitting down to dine together and have the celebration. Were they keeping the Sabbath holy? They were not. They took the revelation of God. They took the covenant that God had made for granted. God had showed them grace before the law. He taken them out of Egypt. Think about this, folks, those of us who are believers in Jesus, how this story relates to our story. This is an image of what it means to be a faithful Christian. We are taken out of bondage, slavery to sin. We cross the Red Sea. We, we are baptized. And where are we now? When we cross the other side, where are we now? In the wilderness. Where are we headed? To a promised land. Do you see where we are in the story? There is grace. And now here's how we're to live. But my friends, listen to the warning. We sin when we do not do what God tells us not to do. Stop letting fear crowd out faith. If you think that you can take matters into your own hands, that you know what's best, that you can speak for God, you know what God's revealed, he's given you and others secret information, be warned. See, at the first sign of trouble, the people want to go back to Egypt, where they've been freed from their slave masters. And they want to go back. Let's look at Psalm 106, another reference to this passage. Psalm 106, verses 19 to 22. It gives us insight. What's going on here? And we're... They made a calf and worshipped an idol cast, uh, cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They exchanged. They forgot They made idols. And now, back to our passage, now, oh, this is rich. Let's go back to the passage. Now, they're rewriting history. They they talk about this fellow, like this dude, like Moses is just some dude. We don't know know who he is. So they're, they're forgetting history there. And they're saying, he's the one who brought us out of Egypt. Who brought them out of Egypt? The Lord literally says at the beginning of his Ten Commandments, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They are rewriting history. They've forgotten this. And Aaron, well, he's a winner. What does he do? Okay, moms, kids, gather up all the gold and hand it to me. Now, now later, when Moses calls his brother out, he's going to say, uh, 
I don't know, just the gold showed up and it just kind of became this thing. Like he does not want to take responsibility for him literally causing this havoc. He says, gather up all the gold so that we can, we can make this idol. Now, let me ask you, uh, 400 years of slavery, these people are where, are, where are they economically? 400 years of slavery, what do you think? Are they down here or are they up here, class? They're all the way down. Where do they get all the gold? Where would they get the bling? Let's, let's collect all the gold. Like, where would a bunch of slaves get it? They got it from their former slave masters who were debilitated by the shock and awe of God who brought plagues down upon them. And in Exodus 12, when they're finally said, get, just go, just here, clear out the jewelry, just here, just take it, just please go, please, please pray to your God Spare us. And so they just give them all of the gold out of God's working. Why did God do that? So they get blinged out? <laughs> why, why all the money? Was it for themselves? For their own pleasure? No. That gold and silver was meant to be used for building the tabernacle. It was meant for worship. It was related to the designs that God has given to Moses at that very time, that were the items of precious metals and golds to be used to draw people into God's presence. And they're using these resources that are meant for love for themselves. What a disgusting abuse of, of a divine gift to spend it all on yourself and on your own. It is a sin to use your money only on yourselves rather than invest, investing in the advancement of the gospel. Gee, I'm happy you took the offering already. <laughs> How much? At least enough that it is actually a sacrifice. I say, well, there's, there's time, talent, and treasure, and I give a lot of my time and my talent to the church, so doesn't that kind of... Look at the abuse of the divine gift, the artistry, the skill with which Aaron and those around him were given skill, the artistry that was meant to be used to build the tabernacle, and they misuse it for themselves to build this idle pleasure, to fashion an idol from what was meant to be used for the tabernacle. You see, when you stop listening and following. When you stop trusting and obeying Almighty God, do you see, my friends, what happens? And it gets worse. By using God's name and now going through the motions, we're going to have a celebration to the Lord, festivals and offerings. Everyone's on the same page. Look at the text. Sounds like a lot of fun. They're all in it. They get up early. They do everything they're meant to do. They're mixing their faith with, with this idol worship, and it is bad religion. They're mixing these ways of Egypt, this nation that kept, kept them down, and they're mixing that with their faith in God. You never, ever mix the two. Someone said famously, I wrote this down. You can take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt 
or any earthly nation out of a free person. See, they wanted to go back. You see, the reality is they had never entirely given up their hold on Egypt. As bad as it was, as put down as they were, it was at least known to them, it was strong to them, they wanted to hold to that. And they hadn't given it up to give their full allegiance to God. In the book of Acts, it speaks to this. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, the Bible says, in their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. My friends, if you say yes and, and amen, yet, yet you are fearful and anxious and confused and uncertain in these times, it may just be that you are not listening to God's word. Will you not now forsake all other allegiances, smash idols, confess sin, and turn to the Lord? Oh, Aaron, Aaron tries to pass the buck, doesn't he? He is with, without excuse. He does not get a free pass, nor does anyone call to serve in leadership in the church get a free pass, myself included. I'm to lead you, I believe, into confessing this before Almighty God. The devil did not make them do it. There was no need for temptation for them so easily to slip into this bad religion. That's so ironic. While this is going on, God knows exactly what is happening. God knows exactly his plan and what's to come. God at this very moment is still communicating to Moses, this is how my people will worship. God knew his beautiful creation, love, and covenant were being tarnished and abandoned and twisted and misused. And even still, as God was preparing for their salvation, rather than turning and waiting on the Lord, what were the people doing? They were complaining. They were lobbying God. Beloved, God has spoken. Moses was God's first mediator. And through him, if you keep reading the story, God will eventually spare his people, but judgment will come. Moses is so angry, he takes the tablets. There are only two, not three. He takes the tablets. He breaks the tablets. He takes the golden calf. He melts it down, and he mixes the gold with water. He makes the people drink that bitter drink as punishment. And then the ones that will not repent, the real radicals, they, their blood is spilt in this chapter. That dark day of a mediator who sent for judgment is a foreshadowing of the greater mediator in Jesus Christ. And here's where the gospel comes in. One of the blessings of the new covenant is that those who've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God says, I will write my law on their hearts. And they will follow me. How? How does this happen? Because Jesus came. He broke the chains of slavery. He freed the people. He lived out the law perfectly and perfectly well, explained it. This is how you're to live. He drank the cup of wrath, of the final sacrifice, and his precious blood was spilt on the cross for you and for me and for the world. And all he asks, he only asks for one thing, everything from you. Your full allegiance. God has spoken. Think, okay, Pastor P, that's, 
That's a lot of preaching. Where do we go from here? Four, four ways God's spoken word to us will help us through this uncertain and confusing time. Number, number one, and these are all from God's word. Number one, if you're taking notes, it'll be on the screen. James chapter one, verse five. How do we respond? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God has given us his wisdom in the absolute truth of his word. And his word says absolutely clearly that wisdom begins, number one, the fear of the Lord. We need to be beginning with there, to fear the Lord. And number two, the, the Bible teaches, don't trust your hearts. Don't go with your gut. Example of a, after example of it going badly. Exodus 32 is just one of a myriad of examples. When we stop fearing God and doing number one, we slip into number two, trusting our own gut, and it goes badly. So if wisdom is, is if fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, this is a time for us to end this service with confession to God and to lay down any idol, anything else besides the Lord Jesus that we are trusting in to lay it down before him and to ask God and to remember the next words that James, who is Jesus' half-brother, says in verse 6, he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So believe it. Don't let fear crowd out faith. Number two, 2 Timothy 2.23. 2 Timothy 2.23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. This is for the adults in the room. Don't have anything to do with conspiracies or extreme political parties or movements or mobs or secret handshakes and codes. It's rubbish. It's garbage. Have nothing to do with it, especially any fringe group that mixes faith and politics. Now, Pastor Pete, you're, you're talking politics here. I'm telling you, friends, I promise you, I will always preach the Bible. That's what I'm called to do. But there are times when you need to speak a word, and my personal advice to you, please consider turning off cable news and the pundits, stop posting memes and adding to the Riker and the tumult that's out there. Start praying instead. I'm gathering with a small group of friends this week to talk about these issues. We really, can't really talk about them here. I mean, I'm talking at you and at you, but it's not a dialogue conversation, which I love. I'm going to gather with some friends in our church and and we, like many churches in our area, have folks that think differently, have the same Bible, but even vote differently. We're going to have a conversation. We talk about red state and blue state. And there's even a phrase of, of a purple church, a red church, a, purple, a blue church, a purple church. So there's some kind of mix, like we have to sort of speak to both sides, and I'm supposed to get tugged, and I'll say this to one side and this to the other side. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. You know that song, here I am stuck in the middle again. I'm not going to get stuck like Aaron. Because I got elders around me who are saying, no, Pastor Pete, preach God's word. But with my friends gathering this week, and I hope this is a modeling to our small groups when we get back together, let's talk about these issues. Let's reason together. Let's not quarrel, but let's have a conversation. And let's be purple, the color of royalty, that his banner 
flies over our church, over our nation. Number three is for families, young people, parents, and grandparents. Deuteronomy 6, 49. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on door frames, on your houses and on your gates. Are you getting the impression here that God really, really, really wants us to know his word and to pass it on to our kids? Our children are growing up in a world where they are taught that most most every ideal and virtue that many of us my age and older took for granted are all relative. It's really relative. It's, it's how it makes you feel and how you interpret it for yourself. Faith is crowded out by fear. And so what many young people, I think, are doing, I want to hear from my young people, say, Pastor Pete, you're getting it or you're missing it, but I think what they're doing is they're looking to their social media and to their tribe. They're identified. Everyone has to now be in their little tribe and social media. That's where they're looking to say, what can I say? What's okay to say? What's not okay to say? What's okay to believe and not believe? And those barriers are getting sharper and sharper. Friends, we need to continue to invest in Christian education, a developing of a Christian worldview, an understanding, understanding of reason and logic it's not for nothing that it was the move of the church of Jesus Christ that brought the first hospitals to the world and the first universities to the world and the first scientists to the world. We need to take back that charge that is here in Deuteronomy 6 and pass that on to the next generation in a robust way. Finally, for those of you who didn't say yes and amen, to all that stuff that I said at the beginning, concept of God's general and special revelation, you're like, oh, it's all a bunch of hooey. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm just going to follow my heart. I don't need a bunch of rules. To you, I would say, one of the most precious gifts that God has endowed you and every human being with, being made in the image of God, is the incredible capacity to commune our soul with God. Unlike any other creature on God's green earth, you can commune with God. And when you go to the mountains or to the ocean, when you see the fractals or you see a person, you get glimpses of that glory. But those glimpses of glory are just in a general way, but you can know God in a special way, in a real way that will change your life. Jesus isn't some long-forgotten relic of the past. He is as current today and as helpful at this very moment as ever before. You know, near the end of Jesus' ministry, he had thousands of people flocking to him. I mean, it was like fire. People were coming. Why? Well, because of all the miracles and food and things that were heard. People were coming. They want to hear a message of love and, and, but also a message of, let's kick Rome's, you know what, and out of here. And they were coming and gathering. They were so excited, like, this is it. This is our moment. 
I want, I want to say USA, but whatever the chant, they were chanting, whatever the, the slogan was, and then Jesus started teaching hard truths. He started saying things that people didn't like about suffering and dying. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. It will divide father from mother. It will divide families. He said, if you want to follow me, you must forsake all others. Take up your cross and follow me. And then in this scene here in, in John 6, he started talking about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And people were like, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't want a part of that. And they left him in droves. And the movement was over. And they were clearing out because they were embarrassed. How could we have followed that guy? And then it says in John 6, 67 to 69, he turns to the 12 and says, you, do you want to leave too? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And as I'm telling you this morning and telling you at home, God has revealed himself and he has given you choice to listen, to trust him, to give your life over to him for him to make it a new life and to follow what Revelations 22 2 says, he is the king of all nations, not a strip of land in the Middle East, not a country from sea to shining sea. He is the master of all all of the world. And he alone asks for one thing, just one thing, just one from you. He asks for everything. Us, Rob and the team to come out and let's pray. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to, his, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Lord Jesus, the incarnate word, our Lord, our Savior, our treasure, our King, Lord God. In the midst of these troubling times, we're not sure what will happen next, where we are divided, frustrated, fearful, anxious, Oh God, speak into the midst of that, Lord. But we confess, Lord, the ways that we have trusted in our own understanding and rationalizing. We confess and we lay it down before you, God, and we pray that we would, as Sarah preached last week, that you would search our hearts and know our anxious ways, Lord God. If there be any way within us that needs to go, it needs to be excised, it needs to be smashed and removed, that you would do that good work, Lord God. That we would continue to be the united people of God, seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.